0: stuff podcasts this episode of what's wrong with you is sponsored by every human an online platform selling life-changing adaptive clothing footwear and lifestyle products it's the home of the ultimate shopping experience for people with disabilities shop the range at everyhuman.com.au I was obsessed with dragons at the time and I was pretending to be like a dragon. And so, you know, you are this girl that had this imaginary friend um, that was Crystal the dragon. <laughs> oh, it was Crystal the dragon. I can
1: not remember the, dragon's the name. name.
0: Recently, I was on the phone to my old friend Nichelle. That's Nichelle with an N. I would just do this like, kind of like... Yes, okay, voice. I recognise that now. I recognise <laughs> that voice. We were around 10 when we made our own radio show. I remember when we were making it, I played MJ, the girl, and I played her mum as well. I just remember you doing the mum at that one point, being like, come clean up your room. Our studio was just a USB microphone plugged into her old Windows computer in her parents' downstairs office. I think we recorded about eight episodes. What I really remember after making that was your mum saying to me, Olivia, you'd be a really good journalist one day. Yeah, absolutely. Like you definitely had a penchant for, you know, um, journalism and storytelling and kind of all of that side of thing, right, from an early age. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame we can't find it because it would be so good to dig out and and put it in the podcast. But you know, know, I've gone through like I've gone through all of my Google Drive. That compliment from Nichelle's mum really had an impact on me. It was around then that I decided, yeah, one day I will be a journalist. And sure, the radio show never made it on air, and I guess it never will, seeing as we can't find the files. But even back then, I was aware of the power of telling your own story. Growing up, there were no stories about young women in wheelchairs doing cool things. Yes, we were starting to see a bit more diversity in mainstream movies and TV shows, but there weren't any stories about disabled people I could relate to. So I came to the conclusion I'd have to pave my own way. I'm Olivia Shivers. And I'm Rebecca Dubber. And you're listening to What's Wrong With You,
2: a podcast about disability and living in a world that's not designed for you. In this episode, we're looking at media representations of disability. And spoiler alert, quite often, they suck. Exhibit A. Life was limited to a wheelchair. Exhibit B. Ramirez suffers from cerebral palsy and is wheelchair-bound. Exhibit C. To face the harsh realities of life in a wheelchair. Okay, yeah, well, you get the idea. We'll get to all that later. Our first guest is Grace Stratton. She's a law and communications student and is working as a producer for this very podcast.
0: Yeah, one of her roles has been finding and lining up interview subjects. And this week she's found us, uh, herself. But honestly, Grace was the perfect person to get into the studio to talk about the media. She runs an accessible communications agency called All Is For All,
2: and is someone who's really shaping representation of disabled people in New Zealand. Grace was born 10 weeks early, and in her own words, she was impatient out the gate. This resulted in a brain injury, and she's been a wheelchair user her whole life. We started by talking about the podcast title. Like, actually, is it ever okay to ask a disabled person, what's wrong with you?
3: It depends on the context, but I don't really mind. I think the thing is, is everyone's different, right? But... Because I don't see my disability as an issue, Mm. most of the time I don't actually mind answering because I don't think it's a problem. But I think the phrasing of the question um, is obviously an issue, like saying it's something that is wrong with us is a problem because that's not how we see it.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I think that's why we chose that title because it's so provocative and people... Um, you know, the reactions I've seen when telling people. Some people just laugh. Some people, like, their mouths dropped. Some people are, like, <laughs> shocked that...
3: Well, it's what people are thinking as well. Like, people don't like you verbalising what they're thinking, even though they're thinking it.
0: So this episode about disability and media, we wanted to look at how um, people with disabilities... Are portrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, and often these stories are done through the lens um, of non-disabled people. What are some of these
3: um, negative stereotypes? Well, I think basically what you're saying is, is true no matter where you look. The standard of success in life is a non-disabled person's standard. And so the media reflects that standard, but they don't do so with room for a disabled person's experience of life. So that means that often in the media, the stories of disability that we do see are ones with a very low bar. So it might be like disabled person enters a Lego competition, which is a real life example. He didn't even place in the Lego competition, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you know, and that is that might be a big. That might be. I'm not. I'm not belittling that person's achievement. That mm. might have been a really big achievement for them. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the phrasing was something like before it was fixed. The phrasing was something like wheelchair bound boy. Um, enters Lego competition and the opening line was despite him not being able to play sports, he enters um, mm. the Lego competition. So it's not the competition that's wrong. It's all the phrasing surrounding that and the the, the bar being so low for disabled people's achievements that we're celebrating, um, you know, just entering a competition like that. That's, yeah, not exactly newsworthy. So a low bar would be my main one. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and then
2: layering it on top, you know. Because he can't play sport, despite yeah. you know his disability, and just kind of adding insult upon insult upon insult of what you know a disabled existence or a disabled life is meant to be. I also think um,
3: because the majority of media is obviously consumed by a non-disabled audience, because the majority of people in the world are not disabled, all of the framing is influenced by that idea. So you know, we design things for the majority of people and it's the same for our media. But when we are designing our media, we're not actually considering that what the majority of people want is probably not something that just always reiterates all of this negativity, like... And some of the stereotypes, to get back to what you were saying, I guess it's this idea of overcoming, you know, like disability is like this metaphorical mountain that we climb every day um, and we only get respite every time we get a gold star or someone packs our groceries for us or something. That idea is incorrect. We live successfully with our disabilities. Um, And so that is something that I don't think the media ever really captures. Um, Our disability is always framed as this kind of um, accessory to our person, but I see my disability as so inherent to who I am that you can't separate the two. And I think that's what the, the media doesn't
2: really get. The the other stereotype that's often portrayed, if it's not overcoming disability, it's the disability is too hard to overcome. Therefore, the life isn't worth living. Mm. And you get a lot of those a lot of those stories where. Um, and I feel like it's particularly relevant in a society where we've just voted to legalize euthanasia mm. that it's going to matter now more than ever how you know disabled people's lives and experiences are portrayed as worth living, mm. um, because a lot of, <clears throat> particularly like in fictional movies, we've seen that. You know, the story is, you know, handsome young, non-disabled man, has accident, ends up quadri- quadriplegic, um, meets, oh. meets the love of his life. He's beautiful, and he's, he's beautiful, beautiful as well. <laughs> <laughs> and successful. And yeah. the actor wasn't actually disabled, just yes. putting it out there. <laughs> but, you know, meets the love of his life, um, but that's still not enough. Like, no. love isn't enough to overcome disability, and he goes to Switzerland.
0: I don't want you to miss with the things that someone else could give you.
2: And he didn't want to
3: put her through the disability. Yeah. Because disability is so terrible that everyone around you is somehow put through this terrible thing. And that, I think that also Eye happened. Eye roll. I I'm just like, yeah. I, who signed off on that? But it also, well, it's because it's for a non-disabled audience. Mm. Because they go and watch that and they eat their popcorn and they drink their drinks and then they don't think about the impact that that has on the disabled people coming to the cinema. And I think that's the problem, that a lot of, like, uh, disability organisations, for example, sometimes their focus can be on, like, um, stories of, like, improvement and and stories of, like, medical intervention. And I'm not saying that medical intervention doesn't have its place, but the framing of that from a comms perspective and from a media perspective is really... um, It can be really harmful. So if we say things like, oh... um, Barbara learned to walk again after, you know, years of really wanting to, like, play with her friends on the playground. Like, how does that make me feel as a 21-year-old woman who never did go on the monkey But Like, people don't think about how the impact of what they're saying makes other people with that same disability feel. They just think that the article or that the piece of media is in isolation. Yeah. But it actually has this huge impact not only, like you're saying, on the ways that we think about disability in the future, but actually on our lives. Because when we consume it, we get hurt or we feel a certain way. Yeah. And then that that impacts our whole day. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting from my
0: perspective as well, because I've been working in a newsroom for a few years now, and I can also see it from the other side. Um, you know, journalists and news directors and editors, you know, they're wanting to sell the story as strong as possible so people will... Read it because you you want people to consume your content and these stories are important to tell, but the harmful reinforcement is not great. And I've often caught myself even wanting to mm. embellish a headline a little bit, and then I'm like pausing. I'm like, hang on a minute, Olivia. Like, no, you're. It's like your own my own internalized ableism yeah. as yeah. a journalism producer. But um, I think what is also quite cool about me working in this space, Mm. is I actually have a bit of influence when I do see a story. I think there was one about a girl who was born with a leg shorter, and she went over to America. Her parents spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to extend her leg, but someone wrote something in the article about, but don't worry, doctors are able to fix it, or something like that. And it was like, oh, so all these other people who aren't able to get the same surgery saying, oh, they're still broken or this. but I was able to
3: go in and, and yeah. change that and talk to the right and person and we educate worked, them. Didn't you and I work yeah. together on a response? We were like, how do we frame a response? Yeah. It obviously doesn't like villainize or look down on the person in the article because that's definitely not what we're trying to do. Mm. It's just, or look down on, you know, a journalist who is just trying to do their job with those traditional values that come with journalism. But I think it's just about thinking critically. And it doesn't just apply to the disability community. It applies to all groups. You know, you think about how we talk about crime in this country. And we might say something, you know, I was just in a lecture, actually, and they were talking about this, about how, you know, in, in headlines you might see, like, South Auckland boy does X. Is it necessary to say the area he's from? Do you even know that he's from? Like, so it's not just disability that has this problem. It's really across all um, segments of society that we kind of drive home these um, stereotypes because we're trying to sell papers or because we're trying to do something. Mm. Um, and we, we need to stop doing that. Wanted
0: to quickly bring up the other kind of negative stereotype. Mm. There was that story a few years ago about um, a mum who killed her daughter who had autism. Mm. And the media labelled it as a mercy killing Mm. and um, how awful it was. Like, you wouldn't label a non-disabled person dying the same way as a mercy killing. And I was talking to a friend and I think we were saying how the lawyer said she'd already been on a life sentence, as in having a disabled daughter was already in,
3: you know, like a life imprisonment. It's a really complex issue and I will say um, it's a really Totally, that's abhorrent. Um, you know, that the whole framing of it's terrible and it's not a mercy killing because that person's life had just as much value and you can't imply otherwise. That's terrible. Um, but no one is saying that raising a disabled child or having a disability is an easy thing because we navigate a society that makes it difficult. The principle of the article might have been to say it was difficult for this woman to raise her disabled child and because she didn't have adequate access to help or whatever, mm-hmm. it led to um, sadly, led to the most terrible thing that you can do. You could make that same point without using the words mercy killing in an mm-hmm. article. Yeah. So I guess I guess like this whole conversation kind of comes back to thinking critically about the words that we're using because no one is saying that the principle of the argument has to change because, like, the core message might be relevant, but it's just the delivery of the message. Yeah. And so what that means for me is every new person I meet, I'm like, oh, my goodness, am I going to have to, like, help you overcome some things that you might think about me? Mm. So I I never really have an interaction with a stranger where I feel like we're starting on an equal playing field where they know nothing about me and I know nothing about them. Like, I don't know anything about them because they're non-disabled and they look like everyone else. I feel like they already know stuff about me because they're just building based on all these assumptions. Yes. I remember one, one time when I was, like, 15 or so, I went to get something for my mum for Mother's Day and the woman behind uh, the counter started asking me, she just looked at me point blank, and she goes, can you have children? And I was like, oh my and I had this moment where I was like, how do I answer you? Mm. Like, do I say, yes, I can? And I have no idea. I assume I can. But, like, no one really knows if they can have children yeah. until they go about having children. Like, I, just my the fact that I sit on wheels has no, <laughs> nothing to do with my ovaries. Yeah.
0: Why don't we um, go through some news stories and things that I've lined up? Let's watch them, um, and I'm going to pause it. If you guys want to say comment, um, and then uh, maybe let's talk about how we would do it differently.
2: He often gets called the Bionic Woman. You see, American war veteran Terry Hannigan was exposed to Agent Orange, which left her in a wheelchair. But now, new technology has given her the best gift ever.
3: I was in the military. And I was going to Vietnam. Era. Just pause yes, it. Yes. I think we've got, seen enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What what makes you react like that? Oh, those electronic things. The legs. Um, what, rewalks or whatever. I, I'm like exoskeleton. I'm like personally offended by them. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, I have a de- no, no. It's just my opinion. I. I just, I love this idea that, like, society's solution is, like, this massive as, like, technological skeleton. Like, God forbid they just, like, make the paths flatter. (laughs)
2: Like, like,
3: (laughs) your solution to my problem is, like, this giant skeleton. Yeah. But you won't, like, make a more inclusive education system. Life was limited to a wheelchair until three years ago when she was called up to trial a new technology. You
0: ca-
2: see, she's going to put it in backpack. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you were saying to me. You this, was, is, this is like... Oh, it's making me look <laughs> This is like Dora the Explorer meets <laughs> the Avengers. I don't
3: want to be rude to this lady because I'm sure... Like, look, none of us understand what it's like to... um. Uh, lose something in that way and serve your country. So we're not. I'm in no way implying that this um, isn't a valid thing for her. But I'm. I just think it's hilarious that someone's like, oh. Um, a wheelchair was limiting. You know what's not limiting? Spending 45 minutes getting strapped into a skeleton, putting on a backpack, then, I mean, like, standing up technologically on my giant... Like, yes. it's just like... That you can probably only really walk in for, like, 10
0: minutes. It's just... Oh, uh, and yes. even those, I don't think, are not a solution for stairs.
2: No. no. Yeah. So just change the stairs. Yeah, like the, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And it kind of just feeds into that idea that, you know, a mobility aid is a limiting factor when it's really an enabling one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they've okay. got that wrong.
1: Yeah. Okay, we've got another one. This is just my favourite story of the night. Talk about inspiring. UT Permian Basin student Romeo Ramirez, also known as Mr. UTPB, received his degree tonight. Ramirez suffers from cerebral palsy.
2: Suffers. What do we think about the word suffers from cerebral palsy? I was already cringing from her saying it was her favourite story.
1: The
3: <laughs> end <laughs> is
1: wheelchair-bound, but that...
3: Wheelchair
2: okay, bound. so
1: I guess,
3: I guess, like, this just is all the classics, right? So you've got, like, wheelchair-bound and suffers from... And I would like to think that the media has improved. When was this? January this year. <laughs> You knew I was going to make that comment, didn't you? You knew I was going to be like, this must be like 2010.
0: (laughs) I wish, I wish, I I, no, I wish it was. (laughs) Okay. Let's watch another one.
2: Life was turned upside down when she fell from the third-story balcony of her friend's apartment here in this block, a seven-metre fall causing permanent severe damage to her spine.
3: Have you noticed that a lot of these are about injuries? Yeah.
2: Very, very little chance that I would walk again. And I was with my mum and I just I love the backing track. Now unable to fulfil her sporting ambitions, had to face the harsh realities of life in a wheelchair.
3: Just pause it there. Why is this sad piano music necessary? It's a continuous loop that follows our lives. Sad piano. I also think it's funny, it's like un- uh, unable to fulfil her sporting dreams considering like the Paralympics are pretty like, well... Like, I think I think you did all right, Beck. you know? I want to read through a few headlines now as well. So these
0: are real headlines across different New Zealand media outlets. And let's talk about what we would do to improve them. Let's rewrite mm-hmm. a few of them. So the greatest Mother's Day gift, being able to walk again. Tetraplegic 19-year-old learns to walk again. Agonising journey to walk again after one night bug. School pool dive
3: leaves Hawks Bay girl 11. A tetraplegic. First of all, None of us are saying that these people didn't go through a difficult experience learning to walk again. We're just trying to make the point that these things need to be improved. Why would walking be my goal? I have all this other stuff that I feel I want to live for. Like walking could, like all of us really, walking could be our goal. It could be what we focused on. But we have all this other stuff we want to do. And if we focused on walking, that would like... Eclipse everything else and I think that's what people don't understand so to wrap it up what um... how would we improve the article I guess generally it's just where is the emphasis in the sentence Mm. so I mean I'm not a journalist Olivia you're the journalist but my like two cents would be that the emphasis should be on the person or on the journey if the emphasis is on something about them needing to be fixed or changed in order for their life to improve that that's an error so for example the 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 boy entering the lego competition why couldn't it just be um boy experiences personal achievement um Enters Lego competition, and then the article could explain mm-hmm. that this is a big deal for him because as a disabled person, he hasn't been included in competitions. Or the, before. you know, look, there's all these activities which haven't been set up to be accessible. And this one, yeah. is accessible. Yeah, these all, all these people made the effort, or you know, that yeah. type of thing. Yeah, and it's totally true that um, as a disabled person, you grow up and you feel like most activities aren't for you. So mm. I, I can res- I, I resonate with the with the concept of the article that he's celebrating being included, but that's the concept of the article. It's not that he's disabled. Um, The the fall one, it's like, um, does the emphasis have to be on the accident or can it just be on the fact that the person um, is now living life from a wheelchair and adjusting to that? Because it's probably traumatic for that person to have, you know, the (laughs) fall back in news media all the time. You know, we have friends that... Have had injuries, and they often have to read in the news media coverage about their own injuries again and again. And how does that make them feel? Mm. Um, it just is like rebringing up this trauma. Mm. So yeah, for me, it would just be the emphasis is on the person, not on the not on the uh, deficit that they somehow have. Mm.
0: I know we've gone and hated on a bunch of news stories about disabled
2: people, but there are some good ones out there. They're a lot harder to find, but we think it's important to acknowledge where it's been done well. And often the stories that are the best are the ones where a disabled person has crafted the narrative, which is why it's so important we have people like Olivia as journalists.
0: I really liked this one about Dr Tristram Ingham. He came up with the concept of the COVID-19 bubble. Dr. Ingham is a Kiwi doctor who's also a wheelchair user living with muscular dystrophy. But the story, which was actually written by my staff colleague, Joss Franks, it really focuses on him as a doctor and his research, and the disability stuff comes up later on. In fact, the story talks about how his disability is beneficial to his work because he knows how vulnerable disabled people are during a pandemic. We started this podcast because we believe in telling our stories our way, because it's not until lived experience is centred that true change will occur. Every human's blog and lifestyle offering shares the same vision. The online platform's lifestyle products enable you to live your best life, and their website also hosts stories by disabled people. We can create a better world that amplifies the voices of disabled people through storytelling and by ensuring access to products that are designed to make your lifestyle more accessible. People with disabilities are often disabled by the environment around them, but Every Human is a platform curator to ensure access for all and where disabled people share their own stories on things from dating, disability rights, their interests and achievements. Every human is championing the journey towards better representation. This is a journey we are all on together, so wherever you can, make sure you're living out nothing about us without us. Check out the everyhuman.com.au blog, and perhaps while you are there, get yourself some accessible lifestyle products or an accessible wardrobe, so you can be in an outfit you love, living your best life with accessible gadgets, while also championing lived experience. Right, we're back. So i have been moaning about how the media messes up stories about disabled people. But
2: here's a thought. What if you actually, wait for it, get disabled people to tell those stories? We don't mean non-disabled people shouldn't write stories about disability. But look, if you've been there, you just have a clearer understanding and more perspectives. So, where are all the journalists with disabilities?
0: Well, there's me. But the fact is, there aren't a lot of us. In New Zealand, one in four people identify as having a disability. Now, I couldn't find any specific data on this, but I'm pretty confident if you were to look at just journalists,
2: way less than a quarter of us are disabled. And like most industries, the media industry is just not set up to embrace disabled people. To take a small example, when we were looking for a studio to record this podcast we called seven studios in Auckland and only one of them was fully wheelchair accessible. Shout out to MV Studios on Anzac Avenue, Auckland. We love the lift and ramp to get in here. Anyway, our next guest is a journalist with a disability and I'm really keen to hear what she has to say. I wasn't able to make it on the day of the interview, but Grace Stratton took my place. Naz Campanella is a
0: journalist in Australia. She's blind and has done some amazing work reporting on disability. We called Naz over Zoom, but first, we had to ask her to turn off the radio in the background.
1: Oh my God, okay, I did it.
0: (laughs) Yes, I think that's off now. Yeah, thank you so much.
1: (laughs) Oh God, that was really embarrassing. I'm like climbing between someone's desk. (laughs) Okay, all right. Okay,
0: let's go. Where are you calling from at the moment?
1: I am actually calling from Sydney. We're doing this over Zoom and I do apologise for the fact that it is a little noisy. I am in a quite a loud office and all the quiet spaces have been taken. So I am just crashing in the middle of, a, of a, a, an office here. I've found a nice corner and trying to shut people out.
0: I don't, know, I don't think I told you the name of our podcast. It's meant to be a little bit provocative, um, but I'll also ask you this question. What's wrong with you?
1: Oh well, I mean, you know, I I can be quite um, I can be quite loud. I can be, you know, kind of rude sometimes. No, I, yeah. I do. I know exactly what you mean. But um, look, I have I have um, two disabilities. I. Um, First and foremost, I'm totally blind, and so that means I have no vision. I lost my vision when I was six months old when blood vessels burst in the back of my eyes, and they essentially detached my retinas. My other disability is that I was born with a neurological condition called Charcot-Murray-Tooth Neuropathy, or CMT, and basically that means that over time my muscles, the muscle tone in my arms, legs, hands, and feet wastes away. It's degenerative, so it gets worse over time, and it impacts me in the most profound way uh, because I have a lack of sensitivity in my body and it means that I can't feel braille. So that's why I'm actually not a braille user. I learn and work using screen reading technology and sound rather than braille in a traditional sense uh, for a blind person.
0: I'm just going to interrupt the interview here. Naz spent a lot of her journalism career as a newsreader and the technology she uses to read the news is pretty incredible. She listens to an audio translation of the written news through her headphones and then repeats what she hears into the microphone live on air, so she's simultaneously listening and reading at the same time. This is what it sounds like behind the scenes.
3: The senior South New South Wales policeman, policeman blue, who blew the whistle on allegations of a, a cover-up of child sexual abuse has
0: admitted he lied to colleagues because he was suspicious and of their motives. Right, on with the interview. And your role now is as a disability affairs
1: reporter. For a long time, I'd really been disappointed in the kind of portrayal of people with disability in media all across the world. It was always really though so we were to be pitied um you you know rarely saw issues in the mainstream media about um, you know the way we were living the the abuse that was happening in the disability community um how people were being exploited the low pay um and some of those really big issues and i really wanted i noticed that every time there was a disability story there were always non-disabled people writing them, talking Mm. about them, all the interviewees were non-disabled and I just really wanted to change that. And so I pitched the idea um, to the ABC board for this disability affairs reporter role and I'm, you know, really lucky that they totally saw merit in it and committed to it then and there. And here we are almost a year later. Can't believe
3: it. Is there one particular story that you've done that really encompasses for you... The dream for the role kind of realised.
1: I'm going to be greedy and give you two. Okay. Um, the first, the first one is a story I did about a new style of supported independent living accommodation for people with um, high support needs in Australia, and basically it was you might have ten apartments where people would live and then there was a what they call a concierge apartment like an 11th apartment where when your support workers went home there was always someone staying in this 11th apartment they were a support worker and you could call on them for whatever you needed in the time that your own support workers were not around and the Woman, my main case study um, is a woman who was living in um, traditionally a very sort of low socioeconomic disadvantaged area of Western Sydney. She was a migrant from Afghanistan. She migrated over when she was a teenager. She had spinal has spinal muscular atrophy and uses a wheelchair. And she was twenty one, um, just so. Incredibly vibrant and fun and fierce and funny and just wanted to move out of home in, at 21 like any other person. And of course, you know, having high support needs, her parents were a little bit nervous about it. And she's done it. And the second one was we had a reporterless piece from a person with who is non who is nonverbal. So reporterless being the person just told their story um completely from from their voice now this person is nonverbal and they communicate using a computer device so they would work with their speech pathologist through blinking through a communication board with numbers colors and letters on it and when the when the speech pathologist uh, would point to different letters and numbers and that's how they would work out what this particular man Oliver wanted to say and that then it was inputted into uh, an iPad or a computer and then a, a very similar robotic voice would say what Oliver wanted to say. It was a TV piece and it had lots of beautiful footage of Oliver but then Oliver's voice was, was this robotic sort of voice but we heard what he wanted to say and it was really important for me that we try and make that um, a piece without a reporter.
0: That last story you are talking about, how long did that
1: take um, look, a couple of weeks from kind of working back and forth with support workers, speech therapists, and I would email everything so that they could read it out aloud to Oliver. Um, so a, a couple of weeks really to organise and plan and practice and all of that kind of thing, and then actually putting it together took a, took a couple of days. And
0: I love that you you the first story you mentioned about um, the those girls wanting to go floating. I just read that this morning actually, and. Um, I think, and I could relate to it so much because just in the last few months I'd been looking for a flat and it was like the first time I'd seen a story that I could so relate to in my own situation because I told all, you know, kind of my able-bodied friends and my family, you know, how hard it is to find accessible accommodation and, you know, you could see that they, they kind of have a bit of sympathy, but they don't fully understand. But reading that story, I was like, oh my goodness, all these things that they're saying, you know, it's exactly how I feel right now. And so I think, yeah, that's why I guess your role and the trust people have with you is so important. Because um, even me from New Zealand, I could relate to it.
1: Loads of people say things like, um, you know, that, that, that they can't, you know they can't use the word see or watch around me mm. look I personally I use those terms I view it as I do see I do watch just in a completely different way to the two of you mm. and for me uh, you know I guess for me I, I want to use the term and in a, in a way of reclaiming them I guess I mm. do it in my own way and I won't have anyone else dictate to me what
3: you know what you can and can't say Mm -hmm. yeah of course it's like when someone says to us oh well you don't walk there you roll there but it just sounds weird to say (laughs) roll like yeah Yeah. or i'm going for a run do you want do you want to go for a roll and get a coffee like it just sounds weird (laughs) or do you want
0: to go for a push and i'm like oh that's a really weird word to use i feel like something like you're giving birth (laughs) or something no i don't want to go for a push
1: I guess what I would say to that is in a perfect world, I would say that, but the world has taught me that this is what, this is how you do say it. Um, and so I think it always comes back to, you know, the the kind of structures and norms that w- we've had placed on us really um, that we haven't felt comfortable to say, oh, yeah, you want to go for a role? Um, you know, and, and yeah. Look, I think it's changing really slowly, which is great.
0: Thank you so much, Naz. And it's just so cool to talk with another disabled journalist in the same space.
3: Yeah, it's really cool because, you know, growing up, there's never really been someone that's like, oh, that person is the person who can tell our stories. Mm. So it's cool that you can be that person.
2: And that was our very last episode of What's Wrong With You.
0: I can't believe it. What a ride it's been. Thank you to this episode's guests, Grace Stratton and Naz Campanella. Over this series, we've learnt how to carry a baby while pushing a wheelchair. We've figured out how we can fit three wheelchairs in a massive rental SUV in Dunedin. We've confronted ableism.
2: And yeah, we've learned that you should spend however much money you want on shoes, whether you can walk or not. Oh, and very importantly, our friendship is still intact, Bex. We want to thank all our guests for trusting us with your stories. We've laughed and cried. This podcast wouldn't have happened without you. And yes, you really have inspired us. And we don't take that word lightly.
0: When I started making this podcast, I had no idea what I was in for. It's been a lot of hard work, harder than it was for me trying to walk as a toddler but I've really learned a lot about what we journalists with a disability can achieve. It's been a dream come true for us to be leading a project, telling stories about people like us. Even if it takes a bit of planning, you've got to call around seven recording studios before you find something wheelchair accessible. If you're still listening now to the seventh episode, you're obviously a committed listener, so thank you. And because this is our last episode,
2: we've got quite a long list of thank yous. A huge thank you to all my workmates at Stuff, and mine at Sweeney Vesti and All Is For All, and
0: our friends and family who champion us and make our lives more accessible. We also want to thank Ella Martin, Envy Studios, Veronica Crockford Pound
2: and Joseph Griffin, Origin Studio and Showroom 22. To catch up on all our episodes and check out some behind-the-scenes photos, head to stuff.co.nz forward slash what's wrong with you. This series was made with
0: support from New Zealand On Air. Thank you to Adam Dudding, Carol Hirschfeld, and Eugene Bingham. This episode was sponsored by Every Human, an online platform selling life-changing adaptive clothing Footwear and lifestyle products. It's the home of the ultimate shopping experience for people with disabilities. Shop the range at everyhuman.com.au